Welcome to You Hear Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taku. And I'm Luna. And today we are joined by Lady Mo and Connie Springer's biggest fan, Nitaku. Shadows the Cheddars. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Lady Mo, when um, we saw this chapter, there was nobody I wanted except you. Like, it was just pie in the sky <laughs> dreams that we would have you on this podcast. So I appreciate you joining. And Neat, you're like her perfect foil. You can say that again. <laughs> All I want to know is if uh, you guys are looking forward to your rematch. Because you guys juked it out on the anniversary podcast. Yes, we, uh, we did. I think it's safe to say that I won. <laughs> hardly, <laughs> hardly. Lady Mo trounced you so, so bad. Like you were, <laughs> you were like in the ground, face down, like Zeke in paths. It was ugly. And if anybody would like to hear Nutaku and Lady Mo going head to head about Connie Springer, I think that's in our uh, anniversary podcast blooper outtake. Is that right? That's right. I'm not even sure at this point. <laughs> there was a lot of Connie discussion. I, it all kind of blended in with one another at some point for me. Let's start out like we always do with chapter impressions. Lady Mo, you go first. What did you think? This chapter was pretty much designed to make me happy, really. First, <laughs> you've got um, the follow-up to Mr. Bless's Child of the Forest speech, which I've talked about extensively in the past. And you have Connie character development. For dun, those dun, dun. who don't know, Connie is my all-time favorite character in the series, so I was thrilled. And then we have Annie's return, and um, Annie was a big part of the reason that I got into the series to begin with. So yeah, this is like the perfect chapter for me. <laughs> so this chapter was literally like Isayama wrote it for you to thank you for being in this series for such a long time. It was, it was like his gift to me. Merry Christmas from Isayama. What about you, Nate? What was, I know I've heard already that you liked it, so. Yes, unfortunately. It was very enjoyable. I'd say, yeah, it's pretty, it's one of the better ones. I've noticed in this final arc pretty consistently, the ones, the chapters which I like the most or can seem to be the best written are the ones which don't try to get too heady, like the coordinate chapters. They're the ones which are just straightforward are the ones I like the most. Pretty simple. Battle stuff. Shadis the Chattis. Love it all. <laughs> I think we're on like the third chapter of the rumbling now and it still hasn't happened. I love it. And Luna? Um, I don't know, a little bit mixed feelings. I remember when reading it for the first time, I was on the edge of my seat waiting to see what would happen. But in hindsight, there are some things that I'm not as satisfied with. Like, uh, just like Lady Moe, I love the speech Niccolo gave about the forest, but I didn't quite buy it coming from him. I'm sad that Reiner is again left out while a fight is going on. He's back knocked out again, just like he was in Liberio. And But there were a lot of other good points, and I really, really enjoyed Gabby this chapter. I mean, if you can't kill you? yourself, you might as well play dead. <laughs> uh, what about you, Momtaku? How did you like this chapter? So for me, when I read it the first time, I, I kind of put it in like, six on a scale from one to 10. It, the part with Connie bothered me a lot. It just felt to me, like I understood Connie's rationale motivation. I wasn't surprised that it happened, 
But to me, it seemed very manufactured. Like it reminded me of the serum ball when Flock showed up with Erwin. It just, you know, Isayama needs Connie to go find Levi and Hanji. So let's create this situation where he takes off and we can incorporate Levi and Hanji back in the story. I mean, that's that's exactly how it felt to me. Since that, let's see, what is today? Like the 10th? Uh, so it's been four days. And I don't, I don't dislike it as much. But in fact, there's a lot of it I love. I loved Gabby. In retrospect, I loved the 104th conversation on the roof. Uh, according to the chapter poll, now this chapter is way, 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 way down compared to what we've seen. We have um, over... Uh, 1,200 responses at this point. And most of the chapters this year. Like down in number of voters? No, in in satisfaction. So like I would Uh, say every chapter this year has scored between 65 and 75% of the fandom giving it a five-star rating. Like scale of one to five. Like last month was 72%. The month before that was 71. I think that, you know, it's always that. This chapter, the number of people that gave it a five was less than 50%. So, I mean, it's like the satisfaction fell 30 percentage points, which is huge. And like I said, we have 1,250 responses so far. So that's a pretty good gauge of where people are coming from. Like nobody hated this chapter. I think only eight people have given it a one, but I don't know. They're just kind of lukewarm about it. They like it. I mean, it, it, it's definitely, you know, three, fours and fives that have been selected there, but it's not like they're passionate about it. Like they, like they have been about other chapters. I guarantee you those, all those one stars were Sasha fans reeing at Gabby yeah. being, being compared <laughs> to her. Oh yeah. I'm sure there was a, a large part of the, Ga- uh, the anti Gabby crowd giving the ones, but I think that distribution was pretty good. Like I've never seen it like, like a staircase almost like where it's one and then two is a little bit more three and then four and five were still the most people voted four and five. So I wouldn't say they're like lukewarm about it. They still enjoyed it, but maybe not as passionate, not as much as other chapters. Yeah. Yeah. That actually surprises me so so much because I don't usually rate fives unless I'm like thrilled. I usually give it about a three or four, but this is one of the few times I actually did rate it a five. And the fact that the rest of the fandom disagrees with me is <laughs> interesting. Well, I'm the same as you in that regard, Lady Mo, and I still don't really know what to rate this chapter. I haven't done so yet. And I'm like, did I really like it because I enjoyed reading it or a little bit less because afterwards I had some qualms with it like i'm not sure but yeah i i think there's a lot of discourse about this chapter as well a lot of things people didn't like so i'm not surprised that the amount of people giving it a five out of five is down from the previous months so let's start off talking about uh the reiner and gabby moment that led into the chapter and luna i know you've already mentioned that you were disappointed in that i'm curious um me and Lady Mo, were you likewise disappointed in what happened with Reiner there? I don't really think so. He's really kind of down for the count. He's severely injured right now. So I don't know how you could put him in the fight without it being not believable anymore. Yeah, give him time to rest. I mean, I'm disappointed in the sense that he's one of my favorite characters and I'd like to see more of him, but I'm fine with him sitting out for a minute. It was interesting, this chapter, that, um, you know, before he's been able to power through things, 
because of the kids. And this time it's like he was completely hopeless. He knows that Falco is in enemy hands. His hopelessness before was probably like a seven on a scale of one to 10. Now it looks like it's about at a 12. Has this chapter changed anyone's expectations about Reiner's role in the story moving forward? General rule of thumb with Reiner, if you say this is it for him, the answer is almost certainly going to be no. I can list probably more times than I have hands the number of times that people have said, oh, this is it, and it wasn't it. So, not a chance. I don't know what Isayama could possibly be planning now that he's taken Reiner's Titan out of the situation. But I am intrigued because if if all those theories about Reiner being the actual hero, like the Helos, quote unquote, are true, I'd like to see how he becomes the hero of the story without a Titan to help him. If, if he's got to do it all, just plain old human. Well, he still has his Titan, right? It's just it doesn't have its armor anymore. The implication, it seemed like to me, was when the Titan lost its armor, he's lost his ability to stay in the Titan. That's what it seemed like to me. I didn't get that notion, but you could be right. I do think that's one of the one of the major outstanding questions this chapter is, will the other shifters be able to transform now, or is OG and me are no longer in the business of rebuilding Titans? So I think that's just one of those like outstanding things that we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, clearly Reiner is regenerating. So we know at least that function is still working. I assume that function is still working where he's he is healing. So, you know, whether or not Armin can turn into a colossal, I, I think all that stuff. I don't know that there's any indication of the story which way we're supposed to think about that. I just want to know where all that food came from, though. <laughs> like, where you're in the middle of the apocalypse and, you're, and Gabby is just like, no, let me, let me wait until I put... Let me not put my hair up. Let me get some bread, some apples, some water, a nice jug, a glass, put a nice blanket on my cousin, and then Hold on, guys. I got to feed my dog first. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sweet moment, though. I, I, I appreciated Gabby. Like, that scene to me where Gabby puts out, like, food, and it, it very much felt like she was a 12-year-old. So early chapter... Spoilers indicated that Gabby was going to be the focus of the chapter. And of course, the reaction was kind of visceral at first with that. But once we got the chapter, I think a lot of that calmed down. And, you know, it's more like to me, it seemed like she was more used to sort of connect the scenes together rather than be the main focus of it, which I think people appreciated. But she still got some really, really amazing scenes. And one of those was that moment where she tied her hair up. And there's been some discussion of whether or not that was a direct parallel with Aaron staring in the mirror with his hair up. Did you guys take that as a parallel? If you didn't, there is something wrong with you. And I know 12% of the people in the poll did not. But if you cannot see this parallel, she's she's standing in front of a mirror. There's a sink. She's putting up her hair the exact same way. She is just like Aaron in certain ways. So yeah, I don't know what to do with some people in this fandom. But yeah, it was definitely a parallel. Anyone who disagrees with me. <laughs> Wait, let me add this. The views expressed <laughs> by Luna are not necessarily those of Mom Taco. So you have issue with it. Please take it up with her directly. And if you have an issue with me, take it up with Rune Lai. <laughs> or Manuel. 
Or him. That would be better. So you guys, you guys all thought it was a clear parallel as well. Certainly, yes. I don't think you can construe it in any other way. Exactly. <laughs> so what do you think about the criticisms that, or the, the concerns by some people that she's being set up to be the hero? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's fine. But not really. <laughs> you Sasha fans must be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think she's being set up as the hero, but I think she's um, the voice of the new generation, you know, the, the one who can make the change last if there's going to be a change for the better. Your children out of the forest, right? Yeah. That will be her role in the story. And I think for anybody who's angry about Gabby's development, I just, I keep thinking that she's had, she is not Aaron Yeager in the sense that they have not had the same childhood. Gabby is a 12-year-old who, for most of her life, has been celebrated, who's gotten to play warrior, who's gotten a lot of praise. She comes to the Island of the Devils, and they treat her with nothing but compassion and kindness and forgiveness. I mean, this is not the life experience Aaron Yeager had up until the age of 12. His life experience was completely different from that. So I love how you're like almost whitewashing Gabby's life. Like, oh, yeah, she didn't get looked down upon everyone. And they didn't bash no, that, her face in in that Zeppelin. Yeah, I mean, until the attack on Liberio, though, she was kind of a rock star, even amongst like the... the you know, we saw with the gate guards that they were very positive towards her. I mean, yeah, being an LDN sucks, period, no matter where yeah. you are in the world. But Gabby's experience, she even talked about it. She got a lot of praise for who she was. And and she was going to change all of that. Like she and Aaron both had this need to want to change the world. They were going to be able to change the world. But Gabby has seen where people talking, people listening. I mean, it's just she's seen where those things have worked. And Aaron's experience has been vastly different. So I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. I don't think she's being set up as better than him. I think just different. She's somebody who still is able to look at the world through rose-tinted glasses as opposed to Aaron, who has had every bit of idealism repeatedly bashed from his head. So Gabby is what Aaron could have been in a nicer world, I think. I don't know. Any thoughts? Please, before I say something very mean. Everybody's saving you, Luda. Just spit it out. Save me? No, it's all you. <laughs> Make it hurt. I wholeheartedly disagree, Montaku. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are awful. <laughs> Yeah, and here no. I wanted to have like a nice podcast this time with no. No, it's uh, not happening. It's not with the week I've had. <laughs> all right. So what? What? What do you? How do you see it? I, like I said, like Gabby didn't have the best childhood either. Yes, she became a warrior, and then things turned around for her. But that was because she's in that regard very different from Aaron. Aaron was this kid who wasn't particularly good at anything, and Gabby was the exact opposite. She excelled at everything, but. That's the thing. Aaron learned endurance from that. He never gives up and kind of took that a little bit too far at this point. But and and Gabby is kind of learning, like, even though she was so proficient at everything, she still 
lost a lot of people close to her. She's still, you know, they're losing this war. She might lose everyone she's ever cared about, but she's right, still but seeing my point the- is that's only been in like the last month that her life has changed. I mean, granted, her life was not good, but only since We don't the know how her life had been before she became a warrior, but I'm guessing not all that great. I mean, she was part of the family of Honorary Marleyan, so I assume it was better than most. I don't know. Like, Colt and Falco weren't, like, sent to paradise, even though their uncle was. So I'm guessing, like, it's only immediate family that they go after or make... I, I think as warrior cadets, it, there probably were some perks. I mean, looking at the meal that they had together. I, oh, yeah. As cadets, I'm sure. Yeah. So I'm just... I, I, I'm not saying, you know, she had a great life. I'm just saying way better than Aaron. Way better. I, I disagree on that. Well, yeah, that he was fine up until he was about 10, though. He had a very happy life. His yeah. parents loved him. He was safe. He had friends that cared about him. I mean, Aaron, who murdered two kidnappers at age nine. And uh, yeah. That's an yeah. Aaron thing, not a... No, that's <laughs> From 10 to 12, then, those formative years, obviously, they had kind of a different, um, a different life experience. I mean, Gabby's had misery now for maybe two months, and Aaron's had it now for, you know, absolute misery for nine years. I, you know, it changes somebody. Yeah, part of that misery is of his homemaking, though. So, and we don't know what what will happen with Gabby. Like you said, she's only twelve. Like Aaron could have gone a lot of different ways. I don't think it's just you can blame this on like their environments. It's also just who they are. I think a highlight for me of this chapter was the little mini conversation between Niccolo, Kaya, and Gabby, because I thought it was the perfect example of people on opposite sides of the, of the divide there, you know, coming together and getting along. And Lady Mo, I know this last time you were our guest, you talked about that. And I saw you talking about that on Reddit. I was just wondering, what were, what's your takeaway from that part of the chapter? Yeah, I had, um, I wrote extensively about this back when Mr. Blouse first made his speech in the scene where Niccolo takes Gabby. And just to recap a bit, we go back to the idea that we have to accept that this world is connected. Mr. Blouse originally said that way back in Sasha's spotlight chapter when she was supposed to die. And in the next part, we go into that we um, need to send our kids out of this forest, that this forest is a representation of the bigotry and hate that you're kind of seeing throughout the series at this point. And what I really, really loved about the follow-up in this chapter is we go back to that bigotry and hate, where we have Niccolo, who's being the one who's interjecting with it. Niccolo, who doesn't have any Eldian blood in his veins at all. When the girls call themselves devils, he says, yes, you're right, you are devils, but I am too. It has nothing to do with being Eldian or being Marleyan or being whatever you are. Every person inside them has both that devil and that angel. We all are capable of outstanding goodness. We're all capable of outstanding bigotry, cruelness, and the capacity of doing evil, evil deeds. And what I loved about that is that it fits so well into the point of the series as a whole where you see this over and over again. You see RBA, who we go into their pasts extensively, and they're not, you can argue whether or not they're bad people until you're blue in the face, of course. And in the end of the day, they did destroy the lives of thousands, 
you maybe even millions, but they were children and they have done some good things along the way as well. And then you have Grisha who, yes, he used his child as a tool, but he did it for the good of his people. And that brings us also to Aaron, who you know, obviously he's done wonderful things throughout the series, but he also is committing mass genocide right now for the sake of what he believes in. And then you get to the point towards the end, it's like, okay, Gabby says, now what do we do about it? And Nicolo's answer is, we try to get out of the forest. And the takeaway from that is they need to embrace sort of the duality of the situation, that the people that are doing terrible things to them are doing it for a reason. And if they went on another path, they would have possibly, things would have turned out differently. And actually, just thought of this now, going back to the Gabby-Aaron parallel, this is where Aaron could have gone if his life had gone differently, but instead, the situation was what it was. So he's in this position now, and we get the unspeakable act. So yeah, I, I love this bit to death. I could talk about it for another hour if you let me, but for the sake of time. I loved it too. And I think what my question is, would Isayama be dropping hints like this positive examples of people getting along, like if this was going to be a truly catastrophic ending, is this supposed to give us hope that there's going to be any sort of a peaceful resolution or is this just to hurt us more? I definitely think that there'll be a peaceful resolution in the end. And that goes back to, I know Isayama had originally said he wanted an ending sort of like The Mist, which was very brutal mm -hmm. and depressing. But then he changed it over time. And he says, I actually think I'm going to go a Guardians of the Galaxy route. I still haven't seen that. So I haven't seen it either. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's, it's a much more, I won't spoil anything, but it's a much more bittersweet as opposed to death and destruction and everything is horrible. So I've been thinking about the how it's going to end, and I am I'm referring to Norse mythology, and for all my video game geeks out there, and with the Final Fantasy VII remake coming, you know that, you know, that game, if you haven't played it, you've had over 20 years, so sorry if I'm spoiling anything. Uh, it ends with uh, the meteor hitting the Earth. Basically, you think all life is destroyed, and at the final ending, like after all the credits roll, you hear the laughter of children. So you know that even though the world as we know we knew it and with all the characters you played with is probably gone, there is still hope for the future. Like not everyone passed. There is still hope and there is still life flowing through the planet. And of course that was all killed off with the sequels, but that's also <laughs> what Norse mythology says, like Ragnarok is not only the end of the world, it's also the beginning of something new. So I do think it will... Oh, what are, why are you sighing neat? <laughs> what do you want to say? Uh, it's just the wikis started the nominating and voting process for what to name the final arc. And a lot of people are nominating Ragnarok arc as the final name, which none of us admins want to use because it's not... Ragnarok isn't a concept that exists in the Attack on Titan universe, but it keeps no. getting suggested, and a lot of people are upset that we don't that we've disqualified <laughs> it because it's not a canon thing in the universe. Not yet. We'll see. 
Well, like the world ending could be a thing that happens, but Ragnarok itself is specific to Norse mythology, so we wouldn't want to use that term just because it's not from the Attack on Titan universe. If Ymir is there, then the term Ragnarok might still be dropped. If the if the term were to show up, then that then there would be an argument for it, but at this point, yeah. no. I, I yeah, I understand. And just you bringing it up, I was like, oh no, more people are going to want it now. Uh, it's more like the the concept of it, like the world ending, you know, there's still something better ahead of them. And I think Gabby represents the new, so I don't necessarily think that everyone will die and then somehow the, the that weird tree that uh, OG Ymir fell into will give birth to like a new race of people. It's more like I think the people that we once knew and loved will probably will have to sacrifice themselves for the new generation to get out of the forest, the children to be free. That's where I'm going right now. I could see that happening, yeah. Um, certainly the rumbling has already started and there's certainly going to be some damage before anything stops, if it stops. So... Salvaging the world from the ashes, I could see being a viable plot point. Well, and really, I mean, how quickly can the Wall Titans move? Like, how much advance notice is the world going to have here? The Eldians throughout the world, and we know that they are throughout the world, know that this is coming. Do they have days? Do they have weeks? Do they have months to build arcs for themselves or whatever, however they're going to? I mean, I would, I would. I would start doing something if I was them. Time to start the old space race. <laughs> hey, who knows? Maybe this, this will reunite the world even more. Yeah, it's going to make Eldia very popular in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, first they have like a common enemy that they have to like attack, but that was also someone they have to defend themselves from. Because I'm sure they won't go out to the Wall Titans. The Wall Titans will come to them. So, I don't know. A lot of things can still happen. So, um, Luna, you'd mentioned that you felt like the situation with um, Niccolo felt a little bit forced. You didn't feel like the conversation either had enough buildup or that um, it was inauthentic. We got an ask from Humble that's kind of along those lines, but involving Kaya. Uh, it says, how do you guys feel about Kaya's forgiveness of Gabby? Is it lazy for Isayama to just let Kaya forgive Sasha's killer? Or does it show the fruits of Sasha's actions and ultimately demonstrate that the cycle can be broken? Does it feel forced or was it truly a wholesome moment? I thought it fit perfectly. Gabby just saved her life, even though she tried to kill her. And it's the thing of, oh my God, I just tried to kill you, even though you're someone who would risk your life against a giant man-eating monster to save me. I thought it felt very, very natural. I'm not sure if it was like true forgiveness from Kaya. But definitely appreciation for what Gabby has done, you know, saving her life from now and also having more of an appreciation of who Gabby is, where she came from, what her life was like, um, and wanting to at least pay it forward in that regard when the soldiers asked if Gabby was that uh, 
that child from Marley. So I don't know if this is like a long-term change, but I think it's at least good that they have some sort of mutual understanding, I'd say, for lack of a better description. What do you think, Neat? I'm somewhere down the middle on it because I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the arc Isayama is giving to these characters. I can see why some people might think it feels a bit forced. And I think the reason for that is obviously Isayama wants to wrap the story up soon. So he's got to fit those story arcs in to what little chapters, chapters he has left. But I could, I think maybe people would have less of a problem with it if Kaya was appreciative of what Gabby had done, but there's still sort of that understanding from her, the way they interact with each other that Kaya's not ready to fully forgive her for what she's done. So you like think it, her imagining Gabby as um, Sasha in that moment was overkill? I mean, I love it because I know it pissed people off, but <laughs> I but I understand why even keeled people, why level-headed people might have thought it was a bit too much, yeah? When I say level-headed people, I mean the people <laughs> I mean the people who are critical of it without losing their minds that Gabby is being portrayed in any sort of positive light. I agree with you, Nate, that as the time to wrap up this manga comes closer to us, and you know, Isayama is taking a little bit. I think the story is still quality, the art is still beautiful, but maybe he doesn't have time to like, you know, turn this reconciliation into a whole chapter. He's got to get it down to two pages. Yeah. And using a visual shortcut like Sasha uh, is certainly beating everyone. You know, anyone who didn't like Gabby before, or who saw Gabby as a monster, like let's just beat them over the head with a sledgehammer. Here, here it is. She's not a horrible person. Deal with it. I mean, that's how it felt to me. It was very heavy-handed. I think it's one of those deals where you've got you've got story beats you've got to hit, but you don't have a lot of time to hit them, so you've just got to sort of make it happen. And you can't you can't let it breathe as much as you'd probably like to, but you still got to hit them in the small amount of time you have left. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I do think using Sasha's imagery was a little bit heavy-handed, but it was effective. Uh, but and I understand it, people that hated it. So And it pissed people off, which I like. So much. So much. I I gotta wonder, like, does Isayama realize what's happening in the fandom when he does stuff like this? Like, is he smiling and twirling his mustache? Or is this is the Japanese fandom so different that something like this can happen without seismic ripples? From what I've I know about his schedule. It takes him like around three weeks to make an entire chapter. Then he spends th the fourth week planning the next one. He probably doesn't have a lot of time to be interacting with the fandom. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's oblivious to everything. If it just goes right over his head. I think he's pretty involved. I feel like he he's online. He's snooping. Well, even if he's not, his staff is. There are people who are <laughs> gauging chapter reactions and sales and, you know, what what's working and what's not working. So he probably doesn't have a lot of time, but I'm sure everything filters back to the editor and the editor is like, uh, you know, do this, don't do this, or make those suggestions. I don't know. I know you know a little about the Japanese fandom, Mamtaku. Do you have any input of what they're, they've been saying about the chapters so far? Just out of curiosity. I don't have any uh, way to gauge that myself, but I do pay attention to what I see on Twitter for those people that are in the J fandom. And 
this month I haven't heard much of anything. So, but I, I would be curious. Um, I wish they had a chapter poll that we could look at. I'd love to see, <laughs> you know, how Gabby is perceived in their fandom. Cause I do know that characters are perceived differently. Like, um, you know, Bertold was more popular in Japan than he is here. And, you know, certain characters that we like are not admired quite so much. So it would be interesting to know if Gabby is as polarizing or if they just see her character journey and appreciate it for what it is. And I'm definitely one of those in the camp that did not like this kid in chapter 91. And <laughs> Isayama has done his magic and now I am absolutely Gabby gang. So he did a good job. It worked for me. Yeah, I agree. I wasn't a big Gabby fan either. Are we all Gabby gang here? Do we have any like non-Gabby gangers? It's not my favorite, but I do appreciate her as a character. Yeah, I'm, we're Lady Mosette. I'm neutral on her until it pisses someone off and then I'm full <laughs> Gabby gang. Gabby gang out of spite. Yeah. So, okay, we have the genuine Gabby gang and then the spite Gabby gang. And then we have Lady Mosette just like, yeah. I'm Switzerland. <laughs> Lady Mo is Lady Meh when it comes to Gabby. This <laughs> is accurate. Anyway, I, I want to hear your predictions because um, we've been hearing, you know, a lot of discussions about when will this series end. And I, after this chapter, I've heard a lot of people say that they don't see it ending anytime soon. Do you agree with that? And, and when do you think the end is coming? What chapter? If you had to give a prediction. If I had to say, I think we'll get another year, maybe. So do you think the anime will end simultaneously then with the manga? I think what they might do is they might give us another split split season. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If it goes another year, we'd absolutely have to have a split season, two cores, and then a movie to finish it off. Because right now, if, if this manga goes to chapter 130, that would be 40 chapters of content for season two. I think the most that an adaptation of 24 episode adaptation can handle the most would be 50 so it can't go on too much longer i mean honestly 45 chapters for a two-course season i could see them do like the marley arc and then the beginning of this right. arc in into like one core and then you know everything no. since marley came like the the forces arrived like the second core I mean, just looking historically at how much content they've covered, I think it would be very hard for um, for them to cram in as many chapters as would be involved in a year. I have no idea at this point. <laughs> I'm with Lady Mo on the split core thing, and I could see Isayama going on for at least another year, because that's soon in his eyes. And then a year will turn into like a year and a half, because... Isayama doesn't know when to quit. I still think one, 134 at the most. I, I was team 130 that this was going to wrap up until this chapter. This chapter changed, changed that for me. It just opened up more plot threads and <laughs> not less. Less, you know, I wanted things to start moving. And instead, it, this was a setup chapter for just a bunch of more ways things could go. Isayama's a strange one. Back when the Marley arc was starting, he was making it sound in interviews like that was going to be the final arc. So it's always changing with him. But after it was announced that this next season of the anime would be the final season, I decided, like, I just decided myself that 
I assume the manga is going to end before the anime starts. If the anime starts in October, which is when most fall anime do, then I could see the final chapter of the manga being printed in the same month that the anime starts. So that would be 134 chapters, like mom said. So I think that's about where I'm at. So from here, 10 chapters left. I could see it being wrapped up in 10, I think. Um, I, I could still see 130 being a possibility, but 134 just as well. So I'm in the I don't even know anymore camp when it comes to when this is all going to end. Something else I've seen a lot of disappointment for or a lot of confusion about as I've been reading other people's reaction to the chapter was a lot of disappointment in Jean and Connie. And, you know, there's just been a lot of, I know my inbox is kind of lit up with, um, you know, people disappointed, people angry, people confused, people not sure why Jean and Connie are reacting the way that they are. And I think that we can quell some of that because I think that this is all like, perfectly normal reactions coming from them. This is not any any major change. Was anyone here surprised at their reaction as as the rumbling is happening around them? Or did it seem fitting to you all as well? I think anybody who thinks that they were acting out of character or strangely hasn't really been paying enough attention. Honestly, I thought it was perfectly natural. Of the risk of sounding a bit mean about it, with Jean, you've got, it, it's very clear that he seems almost guilty because he knows that Aaron is doing it for him and his their other loved ones. It's almost like a Yander response. And he says, um, what stood out to me was he says, there was nothing we could have done, right? He's trying to justify that this wasn't his fault in his mind. And I think that that's a very natural reaction when someone you love does something terrible in order to help you. Yeah, and his words are one thing. His faith is a totally different story. His face, he looks devastated. They all look completely devastated. The only character that was really kind of hard to read in this was Mikasa. Her expression, I think, you know, she got so much focus last month and this month she's not as well drawn as some of the others and less involved in the scenes. You know, but the other characters, I mean, their emotions were just pouring out of the page. They are not happy about this. To be frank, I was kind of surprised people were so upset with John. Did they just misinterpret his words or was there another yeah, reason? I think they, they took were... them at face value that he okay. was um, justifying the, the genocide himself, which, you know, he's always been uh, a character who kind of can say, say things that he doesn't necessarily mean, or he processes things that way, you know, like, oh, of course mm -hmm. we have to kill our best friend Reiner because this is, you know, or when he tried to kill Falco the first time or or tried not to flinch as there's a child standing in front of the cart titan. I mean, he's he's had these moments before where he's struggled with his morality, but um, I've never worried about his humanity of any character in this manga. I've never worried about John's humanity. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting chapter uh, as far as the 104 goes. Like, it's still not quite sinking in for Armin, I feel like. And Connie just let all of his anger out. Finally. Finally stopped. In the chapter, Paul, the character you were most pointed <laughs> with, Connie has the narrowest of margins. 
in the in the lead there. And I mean, we did give a none of the above so that people didn't have to choose a character. But those who chose one fourth of the fandom slightly more decided that Connie, that there is some disappointment in Connie. And I know years ago you predicted that he might actually snap. Was this the way that you were expecting it to happen? Very close to what I was expecting, actually. Very, very close to what I was expecting. Uh, of course, I didn't think it would have anything to do with Falco because he wasn't really <laughs> involved in Connie's plotline at all. I thought it was going to have something to do with Zeke and the fact that he mm. was now apparently on their side. But years ago, I predicted... There's been signs that Connie was going to snap since Clash, even, right after his parents and his family got titanized. Um, and I always suspected that it would have something to do with a blow up um, to his close friends on what he wanted to do versus them, because he always does make very, very emotionally driven rather than logically driven to, driven decisions, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but he's also got kind of a temper. So yes, this was almost exactly as I pictured it happening. And my statement when we were giving our chapter impressions that it felt a little bit contrived. Did anybody think that it felt contrived? I wouldn't say contrived. I do see where you're coming from and that it came at kind of an awkward moment because we haven't had talk Connie talking about his mother for a while now. And so it, I don't, I really like the scene. I really like him getting development. I do agree with you that it was kind of an awkward placement. Um, maybe if they had thrown in even like a panel or two mentioning it in a more recent chapter, it wouldn't have felt like that for you. I mean, I've always known, I know in chapter 71 that he was going to visit his mother, that he was spending lots of time in Rockago village, but that's been a long time. 71 is a very long time to not be reminded of this. I wasn't sure if she was still alive at this point, because I thought they would have killed all the Titans on Paradise. As, except for the ones inside the walls, of course. Yeah, I had forgotten about her until they brought her up in this chapter. Hmm. Now, she's always, in fact, you know, a lot of us theorize that when Zeke had, or when Levi had Zeke in the cart, that they were heading to Rakugo. Like, that would have been a very cool thing for Levi to be doing when he wanted to transfer Zeke to someone temporarily. So, I guess she's always been in the back of my mind. But it just, the whole thing with him noping out on all his friends. I know there have been narrative hints about it, but I think maybe now looking back, my frustration with that scene is, again, I want this manga to be done. <laughs> and him yeah. taking off is like, okay, now we've got a whole new thread we have to deal with. And I just, I love that Connie's getting development, but this isn't the development I wanted. And someone, someone mentioned the possibility that he'll cross paths with Hanji and Levi on the way to Ragako, and then he'll have to choose between saving his mom and Levi. Really? Another serum bowl? Because it was so it was so great the first time it happened. I do think that this is orchestrated so that Connie finds Levi and Hanchi, but I don't think it's gonna you know, I, I don't see feeding Falco to Levi being the end result. I think it's just like it it's a way to introduce them back into the story and I mean, for one thing, what are the logistics of how, how is he even going to get to Rakugo? Does he, does he go find a horse? What are the logistics? Just figured that he'd steal a horse. It's the place is in chaos. There's got to be lots of horses around unattended. He can just grab one and run. Yeah. 
And then if he comes across Levi and Hanji, he's had time to cool off a little bit. Um, maybe Falco's starting to wake up. I mean, who knows what in there. It's always hard to predict where this is going. But it did kind of feel forced to me in the sense that it was a convenient it's a convenient way to develop Connie, but also a convenient way to let's get Levi and Hanji back. Problem that I have with that is yeah, but if I don't we, want them back. <laughs> I do want them back, but the problem that I have with that is that if we get to that point and he meets back up with Hanji and Levi, it will be a situation of okay, Hanji's going to have to talk him down. And we've already had a scene of Hanji talking someone down in the form of Mikasa during Sienbol, I almost feel like it might be a little repetitive. Imagine Isayama thinking this serum bowl is what should be repeated. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things to tr to do again, that. I mean, I don't see it happening because I always thought that Levi and Zeke were headed towards Historia. Because that made the most sense because she needed to eat him to get his powers. And that made sense until now. Uh, no, I, I just I think Connie is going to his mom, but I don't yeah. think he will meet Hanji and Levi. I I really don't care about Hanji and Levi at this point. So, <laughs> but I can see Connie being there, seeing his mom, and being like, "No, I'm not this kind of person." And just you know, maybe afterwards he'll meet up with Hanji and Levi. And I'd be a okay with Falco like force feeding Zeke to Historia, considering what happened to Colt. We got a lot of asks on this topic. And I think uh, a lot of them can be consolidated, but um, I'll go ahead and start with one from our friend Puppet. He said, I'm curious about thoughts on if Connie will die by the end of the series, and if so, how? And Connie's eventuality was also asked by Firefan87, who wrote, what ending makes the most narrative sense for Connie, which might differ from what you hope or predict would happen to him? He started off as a happy-go-lucky guy whose denseness has been the source of humor, but now he has become one of the most ready to express his frustration at his and the rest of the 104's lack of agency and what Aaron is planning. So what do you think about that? Does anyone, uh, I guess Lady Mo, we'll, we'll toss this one to you because I, I know puppets came from Reddit when we announced you as guest. Any ideas about what ending makes narrative sense to Connie or if this is death flags for him? There's a couple of things that I could see happening. Um, I do, unfortunately, it, it kills me because I love Connie so much. But when I had originally said that there's a very real possibility of him snapping, I had also said that there were two possible ways that this can go. Either he reigns in his anger and gets a small important part in taking down Zeke, which obviously didn't happen, or he snaps completely and it makes a horribly horrible drastic decision and it gets him killed and that's kind of what i'm seeing happen um that that said there are a couple of ways i think that he might get out of it alive um there is one plot thread he still has hanging with the scene is that he owes Rhina a life debt and he also owns Annie a, a life debt. And, and she's currently carrying, yeah. Um, he originally saved, Ryan originally saved Connie way back in Clash. And he said, both you and Annie have saved me on multiple points. 
I need a way to repay you somehow. And now he's carrying When did Annie save him again? Annie saved him. This was the, the catalyst for the whole Marco situation. Is oh, when, wait, I remember. Um, that's right. With that's the right. rifles, right? When they were all coming down. To... And he, he and Sasha both missed. And Mika's yeah. took out Sasha's. But Annie's the one who ran in immediately and saved him. And yeah. then you get the scene with Reina um, and yeah, Rachel, got Marco on the roof saying, why would you do that? Why would you jeopardize the mission? And then he brings mm. it up again during class. He's like, after Rana saves him, he's like, you've saved me, Annie saved me. I have to pay you back somehow. And now he's carrying Falco, who is Rana's baby boy. Ooh. Turn out to be nothing, but that's just a thought that I had when it all went down. All I can say is if, if he dies, he better go after he goes. I cannot see this kid die. Does anybody think Falco is in any danger of being eaten by anybody? I mean, I think that's a big no, no. for all of us, right? Absolutely not. Nope. I, I doubt Connie's going to die because Pixies and Niall just died. And I don't think Isayama's editor will let him kill any more characters. He has a quota? <laughs> I think so. You get like one major character death and Niall and Pixies together make one fair enough but what about by the end of the series do you see connie surviving or do you yeah because i don't see isayama killing off that many more characters honestly i mean he waited he was gonna kill sasha in in chapter 36 and then it took him 70 chapters to actually do it I'm I'm pretty cynical when it comes to the death toll in the series. I don't think Isayama's as cruel about killing characters as people make him out to be. No, I agree. I agree. But if it's going to happen to these characters, it, it'll be in the final battle. I mean, this is his last chance to kill them. And Niall and Pixis were hard, were hard to accept. I mean, they, they were both, Niall especially. I mean, how tragic. How tragic is it? But I'm, yeah. I'm honestly surprised he went through with it. I thought they'd find a solution to turn all the Titans back. I was hopeful too. I wouldn't say I was hopeful. I just thought, <laughs> I just thought Isayama would come up with a reason not to kill them. I'm kind of glad that he didn't, simply because I feel like a untightening would be kind of an asshole at this point. Yeah, that's why. That's why I didn't want it to happen, and I'm glad he did kill them. Yay, Niall's dead. Um. But no, I agree. I mean, you, the series has to feel authentic and them them dying. I mean, they drank the wine, they became titans and now they're dead. And, you know, I mean, jumping to that topic, at least there was like a small consolation. I, I am appreciative that Niall was killed before he took the life of a child. I thought that was kind of the only positive thing we can say about that. And of course, Pixis had the send off from Armin. So they got their, they got their little moment of recognition there, which is more than Mike Zacharias got. So yay for that. Still salty about Mike. Me too. So I, I love this next ask because I think that that's, um, this one made me think about Uni Taco. I think this one came from Twitter. Motos said, was Connie always this interesting and we missed it? Or did he finally just break? <laughs> and I know Lady Mo, you and me would take different viewpoints on this. No, he was not always this interesting at all. <laughs> it was always this interesting. And 
people who think that this is coming out of nowhere, I will repeat, <laughs> we're not paying enough attention. Tell me one interesting thing he did in the Uprising arc. Well, okay, I'll give you Uprising, but to be fair, most characters <laughs> didn't do anything interesting in Uprising. This is like a copy-paste conversation. It is the- a copy-paste from the, one of, from the anniversary bloopers. Yep. Let me go right into the next one, which was... Because I'll um, say this, I, I actually did... <laughs> I did reread this. I have been doing a little bit of rereading of the series Ooh. for wiki editing. And I was surprised looking back over it that Connie does have a bit of a presence in Battle of Tross. Like it's nothing big, but that was still an introductory <laughs> arc. And he he does he does have a role in Clash, and obviously he's doing something now. So he has a pretty he's used pretty well in Clash of the Titans in this current arc. He's absent for most of Marley, which is fine. If a character's not in an arc, then obviously they can't do anything in it, so that's nothing against him. But Uprising and Return to Shiganshin are the two arcs where I really have an issue with him because he's featured prominently in those arcs and doesn't do much. Like Return to Return to Shiganshin would have been a good place where he finally comes face-to-face with the Beast Titan to actually have some of that payoff for some of what he's been feeling involving his mother, and it's just not... It just doesn't happen. I feel like a big part of the reason I don't like him is because he just hasn't been utilized properly. He's just been put to the side and it's and sort of ignored. And now we're getting the payoff for his arc, which is why I like him a bit more in this arc, but it, it waited too long for it to actually happen, I think. I would agree with that. Like in chapter 50, when he swore revenge on the person who did this to his family. That's been dropped. He's never acknowledged that Zeke is that person or has he? Never. No. Don't entirely disagree with you, believe it or not. One of the biggest, this is actually one of my biggest gripes with the series as a whole, with Isayama as a writer, is that he can write a really great character arc. Um, He can write a really great character arc, but he doesn't seem to know how to pace it. So that you get these you get these great characters, but there's these big chunks where a particular character won't do anything. And that doesn't yeah. happen with Connie. Um, Connie is a victim of this. Ymir was a victim of this. Um, Annie was a victim. I would say John, too. Jean, yep. Jean a I'd little say Jean's less. Not a, does something yeah, I was going to say Jean's not as much of a victim as Connie, but he's a victim, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uprising, he had... Not uprising. RTS. He could have been Hanji's new moblet. Yeah. And and but there's never a any interaction. Like I was actually I was actually thinking like a quick way to fix a lot of the problems I have with Connie and with Sasha would be to uh, give a narrative reason for them not to be an uprising. Like instead of putting them in squad Levi and having them be in the entire arc have them assigned to a different squad and they're among the soldiers who were arrested. And so then they're just not a part of the arc. Then you can return them to the main characters and return to Shiganshina where they have a bit to do, but not much. Like give them a narrative reason not to be an uprising where they're sort of just put aside and they're just there, but they don't do anything. And I think that would fix a lot of the issues I have with both of them. I actually think I would have liked that. That would have been a good, um, a good thought, especially because having them arrested would put more stakes on the table because it's people that Aaron actually cares about. Yeah. I think the frustration of your character being there but doing nothing, sometimes like in the case of an arc, sometimes for a year. Mikasa's always like the the one I, that I point to. I count up every word she said for an entire arc or every line, 
And <laughs> literally there were like 14. And most of those, if you, if you exclude the ones about Aaron, it was even less. And it's just very frustrating, okay? It's like a character like Rico has been gone forever. We're not being constantly teased by her. So when she comes yeah. back, she will do good things. And it's very easy to appreciate the good things they do when it's consistent like that. Like that, like that would actually be a good example. It's like the reason I don't like Connie, but I do like Shadis is because Shadis isn't in the series much, but when he is in the series, he's used very well and he has a really good impact on the plot and he, and his character progresses each time he appears, whereas Connie's in the majority of the series, but he's never really given much of anything to do for big chunks of it. In fact, he's one of only three characters that appear in a chapter in every volume. The other two really? Being, the other two being Aaron and Mikasa. Really? Yep. Aaron, Mikasa, and Connie. Yep. At least one chapter. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Mikasa, say that again, Lady Mo. Um, they appear in... At least one chapter of every volume? Is that the standard? At least one chapter of every single volume, yes. Okay. Interesting. I love I love your character counting. Another example would be Reiner. He's one of my favorite characters. And he's he is specifically given a reason not to be an uprising, which is why he doesn't have an impact on it. Hmm. I, I'm gonna agree with that. Like I think that would save a lot of frustration for people. That's a, rather than just draw them as background filler, as faces in a crowd, to have not had them there at all might have felt um, a better a better use of the panels. Yeah. Yeah, well, that brings me back to Levi in the Clash arc. He had a reason to sit out. What was that? Well, and he was gone for the bulk of it, which was good. I mean, Inger's leg and then... Yeah, yeah. He, he was. Oh wait, are we talking Clash? Yeah. yeah, Clash. Right, right. He hurt his leg, so he's in the cart with Nick, and then gone for a lot of it. Yes, I which think a the lot anime for a lot of bad him. things to happen at the end yeah. of Clash. But then I'm like, really, honey, you have a sprained ankle, really? So I don't mind them having a reason, but like, has to be a good one. Yeah, because I still cannot get over the sprained ankle thing, like after seeing what everyone has been through. Was it sprained? I thought it was. I thought it was broken. I thought it was. I thought completely it was busted. Broken. Yeah, it was never. It was never specified. Anyway, we've seen him done. We've seen other people survive much worse. And considering yeah. there were some Titan shifters on the loose, I don't know. Well, at. At the time, that was a realistic injury, I think. But since then, we've had characters like Armin surviving getting burned alive. <laughs> so Isayama kind of ramped up. Isayama ramped up the pain that characters go through in recent chapters. Mm. And I think that's what's damaged it in hindsight. I think at the time, it was a fine injury to take him out. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's also because I saw the anime. And that's where Levi kind of... Um, gets Aaron out of his Titan at the very end of the female Titan arc, which is not what happened in the manga. So I'm guessing, yeah, no. yeah that might have you know colored my view a little bit. Earlier today, I was watching 
that new YouTube video with Isayama and Dominic, um, the wrestler. What was yeah. his name? Demetrius oh. Johnson. Demetrius That's Johnson. It. And Demetrius straight up asks him, you know, do you wish you could have done things differently? And, mm. you know, you could tell Isayama's like, yeah, very much so. And, and the anime, of course, is there for him to make some of those changes. But I can't imagine you do this job for 10 years and not have some missteps. Especially because it's not like you can work it all out and then edit yourself going back. It's, you have to take it month by month. So. And some I, months I, you're just not feeling it. Nope. I, w I was very surprised to hear him say that Reiner was still his favorite character at this point. I really thought it would have been Aaron. Aaron's no one's favorite character. Hmm. You'd Except be surprised. Reddit. Go to Reddit. You will find millions of them. No, yes. no, no. I, no, I understand that. I just know this podcast is also being put on Reddit, and I want to make people mad. <laughs> the people in the YouTube comments will come. From the views <laughs> expressed by Nitako are not necessarily those <laughs> of you here, big girl. So we have one more ask on this topic from Reddit's. We struggled over this last time. We didn't know whether it was Star of Ace or Star Raves. So Star Star Raves, Star if you hear this and we get it wrong, <laughs> please let us know. He said he they say, "Hey guys, for 124, I've always loved Connie, and I've been bothered by how little development he's had compared to the others. So it's nice to see some focus on him. It's sad how bitter he's become, but I do think it makes sense. Question is." Do you think he is on the downward path of no return, which will probably result in a cruel death? Or instead, maybe break down from almost killing a child? I have hopes he'll have a positive revelation. By the way, Lady Mo should know she's a good poster. So well, I wanted thanks. to make sure we read that one. Thanks, Darius. That means a lot. Um, on your thought, I, I, I think I mentioned it a little earlier as well. Again, I think that both are very real possibilities. Um, I am leaning a li little bit further to him getting himself killed, unfortunately, simply because I've, I've expected him to die pretty much since he was introduced. He's designed to be likable um, and doesn't have the biggest... He's not like a main, main, main character. He's a main character, but he's not a main character. So killing him off would give a very big emotional reaction for not, not losing much. But I do think it would be very in, in character for somebody to talk him down as well. Would you be disappointed at this point if somebody was able to talk Connie down? If it was done well, no. What would you prefer for his character? Like if you, if you could write the rest of Connie's arc, what would it be? I want him to survive. So from that, it, from a narrative standpoint, killing him is probably a better option. But from a Lady Mo, I have I want <laughs> I, am, I want my boy to live standpoint. I want somebody to talk him down. Maybe maybe Jean or maybe even Historia because Falco does have Ymir's Titan within him. I've been thinking about that too. I never wanted Historia to meet Porco because I didn't. I just it bothered me. But Historia meeting Falco, I think. If Historia has an orphanage and it's not for kids like Falco and Gabby, I don't even know what it's for. So <laughs> I have no issues if it's Falco. It's for tax breaks. 
<laughs> I hadn't even considered that. That's another thought on yeah. that. Who was closest to Ymir after Historia? That would be Connie. The two of them were her number one and two. Yep, yep. So I wonder if even, like, another possibility of him getting talked down, it could be Falco himself with her memories. She was always his big sister figure that they were always at each other's throats, but they were always very close. And he was the one who understood her. That was another thing I noticed on a reread was, I was, I was like, man... Connie was pretty enjoyable when he had Ymir to play off of. They've got yeah. good chemistry. I think that's another thing that probably hurt him. They took away Ymir. My highlight of, of, of that arc was Ymir and Connie and Historia. He got those two. He, he had their number. And he made their path a little bit easier. I think it's funny that he gets paired up with Sasha so much now in people's minds. I think he worked way better with Ymir. They had way better been chemistry. A, a point of contention with me too. I don't dislike his friendship with Sasha, but I do feel like they got the one, two, those two guys treatment a lot, and that a lot of yeah. the subtlety, subtlety of his character was lost because she was always around, doing something Sasha-y. And one of my all-time favorite dynamics in the entire series is his dynamic between Connie and Ymir. And one of the biggest points of contention I have with the anime version of Clash is that they did make that scene where he explains to Historia, no, you're being an idiot. Even an idiot could see that she's doing this because she loves you. He had to share it with Sasha, who isn't that close to either of them. Like, a stab. I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> I think what we can safely establish from this is that Connie and Sasha's characters fell off the rails in Uprising and Return to Shiganshina. Don't disagree with you. So, Nate, your reread of the series has helped you appreciate Connie more. It, it helped me appreciate him in Battle of Trost and Clash when he had characters okay. like Ymir to play off of. It didn't help my enjoyment of him at all in Uprising. It actually, it actually hurts my, my, it actually hurt my enjoyment of him in Uprising and Return to Shiganjina even more because it made me realize that he really, he had had the beginning of a character starting out in those arcs and it was just completely lost in those like middle arcs. There was something there and then it just sort of fell by the wayside. And now, now it's finally coming back in the final arc, but it really got derailed there for a while. So is it like too little too late or are you looking forward to seeing more of Connie at this point? Uh, I guess it's, I wouldn't say it's too little too late entirely, but it is sort of like that in the sense that even though I appreciate Connie a little bit more now in this final arc, I still, I'm still not too interested in where he ends up. The real question is, are you satisfied with that answer, Lady Mo? I wish that you were a bigger Connie fan because I wish everybody was a bigger Connie fan, but I think that that's fair. I think that that's a fair response. And on that note, wow, this is just like, like <laughs> Niccolo and um, yeah, <laughs> this is like Niccolo and Gabby and Kaya all coming together. We all got devils inside of us. We all have devils <laughs> and we all have a little Connie. Attack on Titan <laughs> solved racism by saying that we're all bad. <laughs> so I think um, we'll finish up the, the, the chapter discussion now quickly. Uh, really, the, uh, I think we need to, um, 
you know, mention the fact that one of the great things that came out of this series was that Flock has a new nickname, the Flock Roach, instead of the Cockroach, because clearly he's impossible to kill. Uh, any thoughts about why he wanted to round up all the volunteers? I know we asked that on the poll because I assumed it's because he just did not want Eldians, no matter how useful they were or how much they wanted to help his cause, that he wants an all Eldian empire. Did you guys have any thoughts on why he wanted to round up all the volunteers and not just Yelena? That was my thought too, um, especially now that we know that I don't think he knew that Zeke's plan was to um, sterilize all Eldians unless Aaron told him, which I don't think Aaron would entrust that to him. And Yelena is very much team Zeke, not team Aaron. So he, she basically wants to undo everything he wants, which is pure Eldian society. Mm -hmm. She wants to make it so they all can't have kids, which would completely defeat the purpose. But the volunteers were sincere. They actually wanted to help Eldians. Of course, they wanted to help Eldians so that they could stick it to Marley. So I just, it, was, it wasn't Flock arresting Yelena that stood out to me. It was the fact that he wanted all the volunteers as well. And that would include characters like Anyan Kapan, who absolutely believed in you know, equality among the races or that all races had a purpose. <laughs> My thing is for why Flock arrested the volunteers is it's because he's a completely inconsistent character whose personality and character motivations change at the drop of a hat in order to create conflict <laughs> in the story. It was you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, wow. I'm like, wow. I'm not a fan of the way Flock has been portrayed in these final two arcs at all. It, this isn't a deal for me of like whether I agree with like his role in the story or not, or whether I agree whether I think he's doing the right thing or not. This isn't that's not the problem. My problem is Flock Flock in Return to Shiganshina was portrayed as sort of a discount John. Like he wasn't he came off as kind is kind of a jerk because of the way he confronted Armin about surviving about surviving Shiganshina, but the way he was portrayed was he was just a guy who was a little too honest for his own good. He was kind of a coward. And the reason he sided with Erwin was because he thought Erwin was the best choice for humanity to be saved. And he got and one of the reasons he was so upset is because he thought the one hundred and fourth were showing favoritism by choosing Armin which is why he told them that they needed to be more honest with future survey core recruits and tell them that they were and tell them the truth that they were just going to be nothing more than cannon fodder like it's, he came off as someone who was really concerned about humanity and really concerned about the truth and the way that's translated to these arcs now is he's the way it seems like Isayama translated it was well flock was kind of an ass to the was to the rest of the 104th so now i'm just going to make him the villain now i'm just going to make him an ass in general and now flock the same flock who was super concerned about about all of his fellow recruits being sacrificed in the suicide charge now he's actively poisoning other people other innocent people with titan spinal fluid and stuff he's mocking hanji about it he does that little like shush thing to her with that little shit-eating grin on his face He's just going around betraying people all the time. I can't stand the way he's been characterized because it just, it feels like a caricature and it doesn't, it, it's completely different from the way he was portrayed in Return to Shiganshina. It feels like Isayama completely re rewrote his character just because he needed an antagonistic character 
in the story and I can't stand it because I actually kind of did like him in Re- Return to Shiganshina. <laughs> it's not a problem with him being in the Jaegers. It's not a problem with him being on a side I don't agree with. It's a problem with, like, he's completely changed and there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember stand. in RTS, I wondered why they didn't have Marlo doing flocks role. Marlo could have very much been the one to call out the 104th on their inconsistencies and their dishonesties. And instead, they gave it to a red coat. But maybe even back then, if Sayama knew the direction that this character was going to take, and you know, we would have felt less authentic, even even less authentic for Marlo to be the one to do yeah. this. I was about to say, it doesn't feel authentic now with Flock. It would have felt even less authentic if it was Marlo. And I think even back then, like Marlo was always self-righteous so and and flock was that 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 coward but you know also kind of he almost gave his life for something that he felt wasn't worth giving his life for and i think he felt betrayed because you know they they him on this this heroic mission but with the end goal of saving humanity and he felt like with them choosing armin over erwin that wasn't in humanity's best interest and that's why I liked him, because he wasn't afraid to speak out on that and say that, you know, he didn't make this choice based on what was best for humanity. Everyone made a choice based on their personal interests. And that's what I liked about Flog. But he also, you know, he knew that someone to lead them to uh, humanity's victory wasn't someone who's going to be kind or, you know, merciful. It was someone like Erwin. You have to do a lot of dirty work and kind of become the devil to accomplish your goals. And that's what I can see he, that he likes about Aaron now, but everything else about him, like maybe because he is such a coward, you know? Yeah. in the Marley arc, I actually did come to bat for flock. Cause even though, even though I didn't agree with him burning the LD and ghettos, I was like, I can see where the guy, I can see where he got from that in return to Shiganshin. and I can see where he got from there to Marley arc where he's doing this drastic stuff. Cause he thinks you do need to be a demon, but then you get to, you get to the uh, this current arc, and he's doing that stuff where he's poisoning people. He's acting, he's like going yeah, all yeah, his own people. That's... Yeah, he's poisoning his own people. He's like, but he's constantly backstabbing people, and and it's like this this doesn't translate from the character he was in previous arcs. That must be hard in the wiki, even when you all are doing the character bios, and you you have that intro paragraph where you talk about their personality. I mean. <laughs> How do you talk about someone like Flock, who at first was almost a voice of reason, of honesty, and then and now is just like straight up racist, um, you know, Eldian nationalist? Like, there's no there's no nuance to his character anymore. No, there's really not, and that's why I can't stand it because I I did like him back in Return to Shiganshin. You know, I was really interested in him, and now he's just now he's just yeah. this. Now, like, I'm complete. Now I'm just like John. Every time he appears on screen, I'm like, oh, God, you're still alive. <laughs> the flock roach lives. <laughs> the flock roach. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I agree with like 99% of what you just said. Yeah, I do too. I, I think it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with just the inconsistent, you know, how, how much inconsistent character development takes away from a story mm. when you really think about it. I mean, flock is still highly entertaining. He's just not believable anymore yeah it's kind of where i stand he's so much fun that i can't even bring myself to care 
<laughs> well, see, that's that's the thing. Like, I understand that some people appreciate how funny he is, but as someone who actually did really like sort of the character he had in Return to Giganchina, I just can't look past the way his character has just been assassinated. I can appreciate that final arc. I will say this: like, I'm like I, I said earlier, like I appreciate that Connie had the beginning of an arc, but it was sort of it sort of went off the rail. So now I don't really care about Connie. I still like Connie more than flock. Yay. <laughs> Take that as a, a triumph. <laughs> Lady Mo is the victor. Connie's story arc just sort of got sidetracked and put aside. Flock's character actually got destroyed and turned inside out. I hope Isayama's next interview is with you and Itaku. Mm-hmm. What would be your like number one question you would want to ask? Like no, no joke. I'd probably just bring, uh, like, just a bunch of pictures of background characters and ask them what their names were. <laughs> <laughs> just to complete the wiki. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like, there's something to be said there. Like, you all should get three hours with him just to sit down and go through. Like, I need this birthday. I need this height. I need this weight. <laughs> like, forget, yeah. forget plot. Forget plot. Let's just find out Lady Tiber's first name. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Man, I would love that, too. And I, and, I, and I tell him right off the bat, like, what's her name? And you better not say some dumb shit like Willow. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay. So, um, again, we, we intended to have podcasts be short. And it's very difficult to do when there's 45 pages to discuss. But there were two more asks that we got that I wanted to consider in our chapter discussion. And one was from Honey Lemon, the other one from Monica So. But both of them mentioned the scene that we see where Aaron in dealing with his friends. Honey Lemon about, we see that scene, I'll just read it. We see that scene with Aaron saying that his friends are more important to him than anyone else. Do you believe that Aaron wants to stress out that he'll lose them all by protecting them? Sasha is already gone. I see death flags of her Connie. Uh, the other one from Monica So, if Aaron cared about his friends, he would stop the Titans or at least direct them elsewhere. So I, I think the commonality of both of these questions is that we've all taken for granted that Aaron cares for his friends more than anything else in the world. But is that still the case? Uh, I know that doesn't answer each of these questions, but um, we asked that on the poll, you know, does, do you agree with Jean that Aaron is doing everything to protect his friends. And it seems like that's one of those points that we had taken for granted, but that the most of the fandom is pulling away from that a little bit. So let's see. Do you agree with Jean's conclusion that Aaron is doing what he's doing to protect those he loves? The yeses are at 42% right now. So most people have said yes, but it's become bigger than his friends. I mean, his friends don't want this his friends do benefit from this. And I agree that that was his initial motivation, but it seems like it's gone way beyond his friends at this point. I mean, have we taken it for granted? I feel like it's always been a point of contention in discussion, whether or not that that was true. No, I feel like everything Aaron has done, it has always been out of the selfish desire to uh, protect the people closest to him. I agree with you, but uh, as far I've heard varying Opinions on the topic. Mm. So what are the counter-arguments then? 
mainly that he wants to destroy all his enemies and uh and that he wants the Eldian race to be protected more so than his friends. I mean maybe thought that his him telling Mikasa that he hates her was honest, which I obviously don't believe, but I've seen that. I feel like he's put his friends in harm's way one too many times for them to be his sole concern. I mean, we we saw that in the attack on Liberia. I mean, any of them could have been killed in that attack. This clearly wasn't about them. They were soldiers coming to an enemy land to retrieve him using a plan, you know, of their own determination and making that that very easily could have gone badly. So... I, I, no, I've always felt like it was freedom more than friends, that it's more the concept of freedom. I do think he cares about his friends. I but that does like... beg the question of why he did nothing about those titans and whether that's a side point or whether that, that has some thematic importance or, or is plot relevant moving forward. You did put that one line in the poll saying, could he? And a fair amount of people have said he, he he's not doing it because he literally can't. What do you think? I think that that would be interesting. Um, there there is that line from Lilania uh, is why is Zeke not controlling the Titans? Um, obviously, it means Zeke's not controlling the Titans because he's down for the count. But you would think that Aaron would be able to have that ability if only Zeke can control those Titans then it would be out of Aaron's hands. Right. I mean, they're all dead now anyway, so it hardly matters. But it, it was interesting that that was brought up. You know, why, if Aaron cared about his friends, why didn't he take care of those mindless titans? How did you answer that one, Itaku? Um, I, I don't remember. I don't remember how I answered that one, but for questions like that, I really don't. I really haven't given it too much thought at this point because I'm al- I'm almost sure that Isayama's going to pull some sort of weird plot twist out that's going to shake everything up. So I haven't been trying to make a call on that. I will say, and I will say now that when you ask the question of why Aaron puts his friends in danger now, the fun thing about his Titan's future seeing ability now is anyone mm-hmm. can argue. He always knew that's how it had to happen, so we didn't have a choice. That's where we're at now. I don't like his Titan's power at all, by the no, way. No, I agree. I mean, he didn't foresee Sasha's death. There's no way he foresaw Sasha's death. But I, I have heard yeah. that argument that the scenery is Armin and Mikasa and the rest of them being happy. That's the scenery that he knows he's he's going to achieve. But... I can't imagine having that level of confidence that there's that that's a guarantee. Yeah, I hate that ability too. I hate I hate that ability. Well, that's a good point, Nitako, because at first I was going to say, well, maybe he just has confidence in his friend's abilities, but yeah, you could argue like he's already seen parts of the future. But you know, Isayama put that flashback uh, in this chapter for a reason, like. You guys are what's most important to me, you know, when they were at the end of the railroad building session. And then, of course, I think of Sasha, because he he lost mental when he heard about Sasha's death. You know, he is trying to protect everyone closest to him. Has he 
lost sight of that goal a little bit and maybe it's focusing too much on how to accomplish that maybe destroying their enemies a means to an end i don't think it's a goal in itself an interesting thing off of that point you see um, going back to he originally said the ending was going to be somewhat like the mist and spoilers if you haven't yeah. seen that but um if if no. you go to the ending of the mist <laughs> everybody got everybody that the main character was close to is dead because of something he did and then it was all for nothing at the end so with but he did it thinking he was protecting them right yes he did it thinking he was protecting them isn't it crazy that we're so close to this and i have no idea where the story's going you don't i mean i do but i don't like the specifics like connie i have no idea connie none and i i stand by what i said last month that we are never going to get Thought bubbles above his head explaining why he's doing <laughs> everything he's doing. It's going to be left up to our interpretation. I mean, it's, it, I feel like it's been explained as well as it could be. I feel, like I said, I felt, um, I think I commented this uh, to someone on last month's podcast. Like I felt like Isayama kept us in the dark to, kept, to keep us guessing about what would happen. But now it's all been laid out for us, basically. Well, people can read between the lines how they want. Yeah. That makes me curious. Nitaka. We, you've talked a lot about your disappointment in some of the character development and where it's going. Does Aaron's arc seem authentic to you? Or are you one of those people where you have trouble connecting the dots between pre-time skip and post-time skipped Aaron Yeager? Well, th- that that's the thing, is that time in between the time skip. Because if we get information to fill that in, then it, then I'll find it authentic. Yeah, I'll I'll buy it. But right now it's... We don't know anything about those intervening years, so we, all we've got is Aaron at point A, and then four years later we've got him at point X, and we've skipped almost half the alphabet. And I need to, <laughs> see, and I need to see some of those. I need. I, I know some people can say will say you need, can read between the lines, but I think part of good character development is that you are able to see it happen. You don't just skip all of the development. So. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that aspect. It's always been a point of contention for me yeah. that it's they're so different. Yeah. So if we do get, I don't even I don't need it spelled out step by step, but I do need some flashbacks to show some of the different points that he went through to get to this. And if I don't get that, I will say that I don't really buy it because it's just any 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 writer can skip four years and say, well, now this character who is one way is now this way. It's part of good writing is showing how they get there, not just skipping all of the in-between parts. I I feel like you can see why Aaron is the way he is, but it would be, and it makes sense in a way. I don't feel like he's a completely different person, like that this was never on the agenda. It's impossible, but it's also like we missed the key points in his life that made him become this way. And from what I can tell, the only two things we know we're going to get or should get are the missing scene with Fez Kuhn and uh, the conversation with Historia. So those two are our best hopes for the light bulb going off or those, you know, at least seeing B through maybe M of what happened. And then we can, we can assume the rest. Because like, just, just for like a point of reference, like when I think of Aaron in the year 850, I think 
some of the things I think of primarily when I think of Aaron in the year 850 are one sort of an immature kid, sure, but also in the in the female Titan arc when they're in, when they're in the forest of giant trees and he's freaking out that all of those soldiers he doesn't know are dying in front of him and he wants to go back to help to help them. I think about Aaron like crying under the race chapel because so many people have died because he has the founding Titan and he can't use it. And he could have saved all of their lives if he had been able to use it. Like, that's why I think of when I, that's what I sort of remember about Aaron. When I think about him is like someone who really cares a lot about the lives of others, even if he doesn't know them. And now this Aaron is just, I'm willing to take all the lives of all these people. I don't know. Their lives mean nothing to me now to save the people I care about, which I can understand how you get from one point to the other, but you need to show how he gets from super emotional that people he doesn't even know are dying all around him and he can't do anything about it to I'm actively trying to take other people's lives because in order to keep other people alive, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm saying that well. No, absolutely. I mean, and he went from being one of the most emotional characters in the story to chapter 91, the minute he quirks an eyebrow, people are like latching onto yeah. emotion. You know, it's been very hard to reconcile what's happened with his character. And, you know, we can we can fill in the blanks and kind of figure it out, but I'm with you on that. The, the pivotal scene to me was one where he was willing to explode the building with Falco. And I need to know how that, how... People have said, well, he knew Reiner would protect him. I don't think so. Like, that was a big deal to me. You know, that's kind of the epitome of Aaron 2.0. And the lack of, uh, I mean, this is a side point, but the funny thing to me is that he was never a stupid character, but he was never the plan maker. And post time skit now, people are giving him so much credit for being like Mr. Genius, Mr. 4D chess master. Yeah, that's a does not reconcile with the Aaron that I knew. The Aaron that I knew took action before he thought it through. And I still see that. I still see Aaron as even this new Aaron as being somebody who's not really thinking this through. He's basically, you know, punching his way like he always did to reach a goal without without putting a lot of thought into. I, I just can't imagine he's become somebody who sits and thinks and contemplates before that, acting. That- that's the one thing where I would kind of appreciate his Titan's new power is if the reason he seems like he's planning all this out is just because he can see the future and that's what's allowing him to make all of these moves. But you'd still hate that. No, I don't like, I don't like the power at all, but that's the one that would be the one aspect of it. I would like is if it explains his ability to strategize so well. Now with saying he's able to see the future. So he's able to make the right moves whenever he needs to. Just to drive home that point, I know you should take the character guide books with a grain of salt, but if I remember correctly, his wits score was at like three, which is level with Connie. Yeah, three out of two and a half. <laughs> I thought it was less than three. No, no, I'd have to look it up, but it, it was down there. It was like exactly the same as Connie's, who yeah. is renowned for being an idiot. Hmm, interesting. This is not the way I thought the chapter discussion would go, but I actually. Hmm. Really enjoyed looking at Flock and Aaron and Connie from a, a storytelling perspective and not just what they did in this chapter. I really enjoyed that. My audio just cut out again, but I agree. <laughs> so I think that that concludes our chapter discussion.
We didn't give the shout out to Shadis, which um, I think, uh-huh. Taco, you need Shattis to be on. <laughs> <laughs> I think Shadis is my Connie lecture that I've always loved and defended. And so this was great for me. Who do you guys think should take um, the leadership of the Survey Corps at this point? Shadis. Shadis, Hanji. Shadis the Shadis. <laughs> I don't know if he would want the job, but I would love to see him in that role. I was telling somebody else, I always saw Picks as sort of like, like the general Grumman, like Fulmetal Alchemist general Grumman, the character that survives to the end and helps to set up the new world. But, you know, if, that, if that's Shadis now, I'd be okay with that. If there is such a character to make it to the end and pick up the pieces, I wouldn't mind Shadis being the last old man standing. So uh, obviously the big news of the chapter was it ended with Annie and we did get um, a lot of asks about her, but I thought it would make sense. We have nothing to go on that we tackle those after the break in the Q&A. So thanks for listening to our chapter discussion and we'll be right back with our Q&A. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to start with our Q&A. We got a lot of questions this time, so I will get to all of them. But thank you for everyone who wrote one in. And if we don't get to them in the podcast, we'll definitely answer them on whatever platform you submitted them. Most of our asks um, obviously were about Annie. That was the big news. So uh, this is all speculation from our guests. But Fire Lord Sika asked, do you think the... Any reveal was just to tie up her story finally, or do you feel that she has some bigger role to play? I've heard some people say that it was done to show that the founding Titan can truly destroy all hardening while also tying up her story. I've heard others say she's going to have a presence moving forward based off her ties to Aaron and Armin. I like her character, so I'm happy she's back. I'm just not sure how she fits in the story based off where it is. And okay. I could have written that one. That's at me exactly. Like, what purpose could she finally fill? Do you guys have any thoughts about this? Because I'm in Fire Lord Sika's place. I have no idea. I'm just as baffled as you. I don't know what she's going to do. Um, I figure she'll probably be the key to tying up, like, one loose plot thread as, like, the Shekhov's gun- gunman of that particular plot thread. But which one? I couldn't even begin to fathom. I don't know if I said it during the last podcast, but I'm also like, what's the point in her coming back? I'm not really hyped. I don't know. And the way that she was like coming out of the crystal with all that liquid fluid around her kind of grossed me out a little because that's not something I expected at all. But maybe Neat liked it a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm with Luna. My, I thought, what was the point? I was thinking, what was the point of bringing her back at this point? I didn't think she was coming back. I thought, I thought the series was going to end, and Isayama would confirm in some sort of interview that when she put herself in the crystal, that was like taking a cyanide pill, and she'd basically committed suicide. Right. The curtain drops with her still in the crystal as a vestige to the Great Titan or the Second Great Titan War. Yeah. Yeah. 
for that one question you asked a minute ago, the one about what role will she play? Right. Survivor Spiff asked that specifically. So let me just give them a shout out as well. Survivor Spiff, what role will Annie play now that she's back? I think the role she'll play is she'll go up to one of the colossal titans and she'll hug it and she'll (laughs) say, you don't have to help me, but you're free to choose. And then the titan will start crying and it'll agree to help her. That's not helpful, Nate. (laughs) Just like Ymir did with Aaron. <laughs> well, I'm glad we asked your opinion. I didn't. I didn't like that plot twist. If you can't tell, I I can tell. So Kiza 100, do you think? And again, this is along those same lines. Do you think Reiner and Annie played again? Which plot thread, Lady Mo? Do you think it's going to be? Is it Armin? Is it Reiner? I mean, where does she go? For, is it just Hitch? Is it just saying goodbye to Hitch? Where does this go? And how many chapters does this add to the end of the manga? Which was a thought, but my feeling is it'll probably be something to do with Armin because he's the one that had the visceral reaction to realizing that she was probably out because he does have Bertolt's memories. We've pretty much confirmed that at that point. And Annie was very, very important to Bertolt. So that opens the possibility of Armin like heading to her instead of her heading to Shiganshina because really the situation on the ground in Shiganshina is handled, right? I mean, the mindless titans are dead. The colossals are marching. I mean, is there anything to prevent Armin from heading to wherever she's being kept? Really? I don't know. It would be cool if he showed up in like colossal titan form and that's the first <laughs> realizes that... I mean- oh, yeah. <laughs> There's only one thing I want to see, and that's like Annie kicking the crap out of Armin for being such a creep and like trying to touch her crystal all the time. This would be a lot easier if we knew for a fact that Annie could hear when she was in the crystal, but I don't mm-hmm. think I think I don't think that that's the case. Like I think that she's sort of been in stasis. Like in a coma. I mean, Hitch can catch her up pretty quickly, but I don't think she's aware of, I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, so none of us clearly have any idea. Bear as lost as everyone else. Uh, it's not that I have no idea. I just don't care. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that okay. Hats <laughs> and the Hound said, I feel like Reiner's armor falling off brought up to be a hint at Annel's, Annie's crystal breaking open. <laughs> and I agree with that. <laughs> Annie's crystal breaking open. As long as he heals. Do you think his armor will come back if he shifts again? Do you think Aaron realizes the full extent of his powers or that he'd affect not only the walls, but the individuals as well? Personally, I think he has no idea of what he's actually doing. Me too. I don't, I don't think he has any idea. I don't think it was his intention to de-armor Reiner or to wake up Annie. I think the command was just the command and he had no idea what those effects would be. I think we all knew that when Aaron shouted that Annie would be woken up as well. So connecting it to Reiner's armor, I think that was good. I think that's good good storytelling. You can put it in there without it feeling artificial. Yeah. And thinking back on that, way, way back during the uprise, no, the clash arc, when Hanji and Levi and EMA were in the wagon, and Hanji was playing with that bit of 
wall that had fallen off. Mm -hmm. She specifically yeah. mentioned that it was the same material as Annie's armor. So I feel like, you know, even there was a clue that way back in chapter, whatever that was, that it's the same substance. It's all going to be handled the same way. And Aaron was listening to that conversation. So, you know, who knows? Do you think he was paying attention to that, though, at that no. time? <laughs> no. Or doesn't care about that at this point in time? I don't know. Yeah, I agree um, that I don't think he, he expected this to happen or is counting on this to happen. But, yeah, I think Reiner should be able to shift back into his armor titan. It's just like a command for, like, to bring down the walls, but it's not like a permanent, no one is able to shift anymore, crystallize anymore. I don't think that's the case. Things can be formed again. So I think he can still shift. In that interview with Demetrius Johnson that came out today, he did mention, they were specifically talking about intelligent mm -hmm. titan battles and the use of MMA. and. That interview happened during chapter 123 timeframe. So it's very, very recent. And Isayama did mention more battles coming up that might utilize some of the moves, even that Demetrius Johnson does. There's, I forget what it was called, but something like a, a something jump thing with the arm. So I feel <laughs> like I, whatever I was, Demetrius Johnson was really cute, by the way. Like I have no interest in MMA, but he makes me want to check it out. But if we go by that, I went through chapter 124 after I watched it to see if there were any Titans that looked like Demetrius Johnson or if the particular move that was being described was being used. And that's a big no on both of those. So I think that that's a hint that our Titan shifters can transform because I feel like that was a hint that we have more Titan shifter battles coming. I agree. I wish I didn't agree because I really don't enjoy Titan in battles. They they bore the heck out of me. I think he said in the interview specifically that he would include Demetrius's moves if he drew another, if he got the opportunity to draw another Titan fight. So it seemed a bit more ambiguous to me as to whether or not there would be more fights. Hmm. I may be misremembering the quote though, but it seemed to me like he said he would do he would include it if he did more Titan fights, not when he did more Titan yeah. fights. Okay, maybe. We'll go back and listen to that again and see. But I knew it wasn't a guarantee that he was gonna include the move, but I did think it was a guarantee that there would be more intelligent Titan battles, like MMA styled, which of course only the shifters can do those moves. So I'll listen back and see. And the other um, big question was about Zeke this chapter. And, and I'm, I'm in the camp of people that all I wanted this chapter was a Zeke update, which is shocking because I hate Zeke, but he's <laughs> another one of those characters. I have no idea where he's going from here. Um, and so I think I am not alone in being curious about that. Let's see. Uh, Fire Lord Zika, another part of his ask, where do you think Zeke is in all of this? He's obviously out of the palace realm if Aaron is. Do you think he still has a role to play or has he been crushed under the rubble somewhere? He's my least favorite character, but I'm curious to see how he's factored back into the story, given everything that's happened. Uh, and Monica, so what do you think happened to Zeke? Is he alive? Is he close to Aaron? And then we have another ask from uh, Hirugun. It's kind of a lengthy one. What do you think about the possibility of Zeke being the hero of Marley? So do you guys have any 
thoughts about where Zeke is right now, what his, where he'll go moving forward? Well, first of all, Fire Lord Zika, you misspelled Zeke's name when you said he's your favorite character. The correct answer was Flock. <laughs> Connie would have also been acceptable, but... I thought established- Moses was the only correct answer. No, this is least favorite. Oh, least favorite. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, you messed up. Should have said Flock. I understand if you had said Connie, but it's Flock. Mm. <laughs> I just said I understood it. It's not that uh, it was correct. Yeah, Zeke is my least favorite character, too, which makes it completely insane that he's the one I want to know about at this point in the story. I just, what's he going to do? No, 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 I, no. Your, your least favorite character's Flock. It's close. It's close. But does anybody have any ideas where Zeke is going in this or what? I mean, I think we asked last month in the poll and a few percentage of people thought that he would still try to save his brother. Um, You know, is he going to team up with the Survey Corps? Is he just going to lie face down in the sand? Any predictions? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I think his plot line is almost done. I don't know how much you can actually use him in the story. I think he'll get a final send off maybe with Magoth and Peak, but anything big I think is already dealt with at this point. Yeah, I'm not really counting on him to do much at this point. And to be frank, I'm kind of over him. Like, yeah, there are more interesting things going on right now. Yeah. I think I said this on the previous podcast. I think Zeke's one of the most disappointing characters in the series because it's sort of the same deal with Connie for me, actually. I I really like... With Connie, I was interested in how he started out. I really liked Zeke, the way he started out and returned to Shiganshina and Clash and all that stuff. I thought there was a lot of good setup there, and it's... I feel like none of the payoff has been that good, so I'm not... I think it's safe to say I'm not going to miss him if he's if he's taken his exit from the series at this point. I mean, his big plot points were uh, getting that daddy issue resolved, which happened, right? That's done. He's, he now knows that his worldview was gone. Uh, Trying to save his brother. That's a lost cause. Um, Here, here, here I go in, here you go in, here you go in, the ask about the possibility of Zeke being the new Helos. Uh, part of their ask, they said, I don't see Zeke standing still being useless with everything that's happened. After his encounter with Grisha, he might be up for a change. Um, at least now he has a clear purpose that has to be completed immediately, which might lead him to cooperate with everyone else. Also, I think Aaron was pretty provocative when he asked him if he wanted to see the moment when he ate his father, which makes me think Aaron knew that Zeke would be present in that moment. Also, he could be decisive in touching Aaron and going into again, as it is possible. Uh, That's what Zeke orders Ymir to take down and achieve there. It might be the only way to stop him without relying on the talk. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I guess one of two things happens next chapter or or whatever chapter that this is touched on again. We've got Magath and Peek stumble upon his body and he dies. I mean, or he does something. I mean, one of those two scenarios, right? Who knows what you say, Ama? But yeah, I just I just can't care about him anymore. <laughs> well, this was fun. 
Not even because I hate him, but just because I'm bored with him now. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be the next Helos. I'll say that. No, I don't either. Anyway, for everyone who said us asks about Alien Z, please accept <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> I mean, we got nothing. We have absolutely nothing. So our last ask was from Discord from our friend and former podcast guest, Coffee Life. She writes, this will be the last You Hear Big Girls podcast of the year. How do you feel heading into the last-ish year of Shingeki? We joined so late, but some of you have been filing around since the beginning. So, yeah, this is our um, last podcast of the year. Yes. Which is exciting. Our second December of doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. You are our Christmas gifts to our fans. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Why do you hate your fans? <laughs> well, giving them me of all people. Who well, we gave them Lady Mo. You just joined. Yeah, that's true. And we can still edit you out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, how do you feel heading into the last year of Shingeki? Is Sayama's going to go... I'm making my plans too. Like what I'm going to do when this series ends. I I'm ready. I'm it, this chapter discouraged me because here I was thinking <laughs> maybe I had six more months left and now it's looking more like 10 more months left. So I'm ready to get off this ride. It never ends. It never ends. What about you, Nate? That's a good question because once, once this final chapter comes out, Really, all we've got is the anime, and then the wiki will be complete, quote unquote. I guess I'll just walk off into the sunset. <laughs> Actually, and how long? I, how long have you been? I know Lady Mo. You've been around since what, twenty fourteen? Um, I think that's about right. It was return yeah. that I caught up. So, and I'm twenty fourteen or twenty thirteen. What about you, Nate? I don't know the exact time, but I know I'd caught up to the series. To the, I'd caught up to the manga right, right when uh, chapter sixty nine dropped. Good old Kenny, been, good old yeah. Kenny death chapter, best chapter in the series. <laughs> Not because he died, just because it's so well written. Kenny's yes. great. Kenny is the character that every other villain just pales against. Nobody can touch <laughs> Kenny. Yeah. But, um, Isayama peaked early with villains. Yeah. It's hard to... <laughs> uh, Kenny really outclasses Zeke. Mm-hmm. Which is such a disappointment because Zeke started out so promising. And Flock. Well, part of, part of the problem with Flock is that... Part of the problem with Flock is that he is the villain now and it doesn't work with mm-hmm. his character. So he was kind of screwed from the beginning. But uh, I tried checking out Vinland Saga since Wit was animating it, and it's it's freaking great. It's one of the best series I've seen. I started reading the manga and read all 166 chapters in like the course of a week. I love it. But then it got announced like a few weeks back that it just entered yeah, its, <laughs> its final arc. It just entered its final arc too. Oh, jeez. Which, to be fair, its arcs are about 50 chapters long, so it's got 50 months left, but still. it's coming. So to you're its- either going to walk into the sunset or find an 
to be obsessed with. I think I'm going to take up knitting, uh, follow <laughs> Hanji's suggestion, and do something <laughs> like that. I will say, though, it, it looks like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is never going to end, so I'm happy for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll always have Hirohiko Araki. I wish I would know what that means, but I don't. Uh, okay, so that's the thing, Luna. When the series ends, you and I will start our own JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I guess so. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lady Mo? This is ending. How are you feeling? Obviously, it's it's not as hard for me as it is for you guys, because you are so, so, so involved in the community with these huge projects. Whereas mine has all been very self-contained. But I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be over. I love the series to death, but I want to know what happens at the end. I've waited <laughs> five years. It, it's time. Well, I know you also have your own personal hobbies, like the, the character counting. What are you going to fill those times with? That's hard to say. Um, I'll find another series probably that I'll devote my time to. It's funny that Lady Mo said she's ready for the series to be over because it feels like Isayama wants it to be over too. <laughs> he's got to get working on that spa. Every every single every single interview he's in, he's basically promising, like saying, "Guys, I promise it's going <laughs> to end. I promise soon. the end is coming soon." It was also funny in that Demetrius Johnson interview when he was asked about what he wanted to do after the manga. He wanted to open a spa. I remember in one of the first interviews he gave after Attack on Titan started, he was asked what he wanted to do after the series was done. And he said he had ideas for other series that he wanted to write. <laughs> <laughs> and he was and he was hoping that, that the readers of Attack on Titan would also read his other work. And now at the end of this, he's just like, I no. definitely don't want to do manga. I want to open a spa. <laughs> I want my life back. <laughs> It was that was perfect. I hope Isayama gets his spa. And Luna, if we don't make it to Japan in 2020, we wait till the spa is open and we go to the spa. That's how we <laughs> conclude. That's how we do our next trip together. That would be amazing. And this time, live from his bicycle, it's the amazing Polka with another quick fire round. That's like the joy of cycling in London. I know you always sort of, in the privacy of our podcast server, give us sort of the play-by-play -play of what kind of conditions the quick fire round was written <laughs> under, whether you're biking or drunk or like last-minute chaos. Is there any story behind this one or no? I was doing it listening to the 2010s music, you know, because it's the end of the end of the decade, isn't it? It is. Yep. So that's it. <laughs> All right. So our order, I think, should be Lady Mo, Neat. Luna, me, and then Polka. Sounds good. Let's go. Rhina or Erin? I like Rhina a lot better. Um, I feel like he's a little better developed. Reiner. 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 Don't you dare, Polka. Don't you dare. Erin. Hater. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to love this one. Shay this or Owen? Oh. oh, I gotta go with Shadis. What? I think I just have to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I refuse to answer this one. No, you have Why? To. I refuse to choose. 
<laughs> okay, well, I'll choose for you then. Shadus. I choose for Nitako. He and I are Team Erwin, and <laughs> that's all there is to it. So I no. cannot believe Shadus has one good moment and, well, like 10 good moments in the course of the manga, but it just shows how short people's attention span truly is. Uh huh, okay. Beaten up by some skinny kid who survived a suicide charge. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he really? Like, let's be honest. And he got cucked by his friend. He's a Chadis. Exactly. What did Irwin ever accomplish? Did yeah, he so just see outside of the world? It's Chadis versus Irwin. Irwin. You know? Okay, Polka, let's stop this. Who did you six choose? Feet under? <laughs> I'll pick Irwin. Irwin. Thank you. Next one. <laughs> Connie or Zeke? Connie. That was not a surprise. Zeke. Mm-hmm. Connie. Connie. Connie, because he's relevant now, and Zeke isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's closer between Connie and Zeke than it was between Connie and John for me. Oh, okay. Very good. Flop or Yelena? I actually really like Flock as a character. I get a massive grin on my face every time he does something terrible. Yelena, I guess. Yeah, Yelena. Yelena. Flock. You can relate to Lady Mo, right? You're also laughing every time you see him. Oh, that smug face he pulls in the in the chapter when he when uh, Jean sounds so disappointed he's still alive. Yeah. You know, he's just like, yeah. I survived again, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Jean, Jean or Mikasa? Jean, definitely. John? Um, yeah, Jean. I will say John as well. Yeah, Jean. Better hair. Uh, Annie or Bert? Or Bert? It's hard because I like them both a lot, but I have to go with Annie. Bertolt. 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 Annie. Magath or Kruger? Magath, definitely. By far. Uh, Kruger? Mm, Magath. Magath. Kruger. Niall or Pixis? Also difficult, but Niall is one of my favorites among the supporting cast, so Niall gets the gold. Hmm. I guess... I was going to say Pixius, but he didn't get killed by a hot girl. I guess Niall. (laughs) Niall, because he kept Falco safe. I don't know. This is like the worst one ever, to be honest. Um, hmm. Uh, Niall, but only by like a fraction, 0.02%. Only because he has more of an association with Erwin than Pixis did. I would actually, no, that's the opposite. Erwin and Pixis were much closer and more influential in the story, so. They weren't much closer. Niall the interactions Erwin that they were... had. Okay. I mean, Niall and Erwin have had two. <sighs> Next question, please, Polka. <laughs> no, Don't question my knowledge <laughs> of Erwin's <laughs> contacts in this manga. I can... I assure you, I know who was more important. Mm-hmm. Can we just go back to what Nitaku said, saying that if he wasn't killed by a hot girl, are you implying that Noel was killed by a hot girl? Nah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I don't have anything to say. It's probably best well, not to say anything to that one. Chris Hansen will say everything that needs to be said. Yeah. Well, for my uh, answer, 
it's the choice between a, a loving family or copious amounts of alcohol. So I have to go for Pixis. <laughs> Don't be sleeping on copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah. Drink drink water before you go to bed if you do that. A little bit of advice there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're too young to give that advice, Polka. <laughs> Hanji and Levi versus Historia. That's sort of like the scenario of who you want to see. Oh, of who we want to see next? Yeah. I'll go with Hanji and Levi. Historia. Let's destroy that Aaron father theory already. Historia, because... I want to know what she has left to offer to the story, and I don't think Hanji and Levi have a lot left to offer. I don't find their point of view interesting at this point. Well, I don't agree with you 100%, but I agree with you about 50%. I would much rather know what's happening with Historia. Yeah. I want to see Hanji and Levi, just so we see that Levi dies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy. I want to see that fandom meltdown, boys. Yeah, boy. 112.2.0. Gabby versus Sasha. The the Sasha. big sister in big quotation marks. Sasha. Gabby. Gabby gang, Gabby gang, Gabby gang, Gabby gang. <laughs> yeah, Gabby, 100% Gabby. I think we all know who's superior. Who killed who? Gabby. <laughs> oh. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Colt. Or Niccolo? Ooh. Hmm. Oh, no, no, this is not a hard choice. Don't you even dare. <laughs> I like them both. But... No, you cannot like... Okay, uh, go ahead. I won't say anything. I like Colt. But? but? But they're both good characters. I'm also the one so who likes who is Fuck, it? though. So I said Colt. I like Colt. Okay, Colt. Me? This isn't really a choice. It's Niccolo. Oh, go to hell. (laughs) Colt, of course. The only option. And legitimately Niccolo. Colt. This is what you get as a sibling. You understand Colt more than you understand Niccolo. Yeah, this is the story where Mom Taku is not the oldest sibling all over again. I thought we... doesn't get it. We established that that was not a... um, that's not necessarily like this, the metric of Colt's favorability. They're both great characters, but um, I just really like how, where Nicolo's gone with this story. I was the one who established that. I, I was the older sibling who broke the rule. Yeah, you're an anomaly. But you don't count me. I told you that as well. Wasn't Rune Lai also an outlier? Yeah, I know. I think so. Uh, but like the wiki people are like their own separate species. Yeah. I don't think they count. I'm destined to be a wiki person, I guess. Wiki master race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna rumble you. Okay. Colt's a filthy drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's why I like him. <laughs> uh, Falco or Annie? Annie. Falco or who? Ooh. Annie. Ooh. The Ooh. girl at the end of the chapter, you know. Uh, Falco. I mean, wasn't she also paired with Bertolt earlier? That's what confused me. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh well. That's right. She can show up twice. Yeah. And she's still my choice here, too. So. Yeah. Falco. Falco. Captain Falcon. <laughs> You're kind of running out of character pairing, so you have to sort of like do them twice. It's quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually like to have a reason why they're paired, not just two random characters. 
we're running out of people. They're all yeah. dying. <laughs> we'll have to incarnate the quick fire into something else. Yeah. Would you rather? Kiss Mary Kill. Wait, no. <laughs> no, no, please don't. <laughs> I think that's that's it. So, oh, that's it. Wow. So that was one. quick. If we well, it was quick, but you made go it off on tangents. <laughs> Thank you, Polka. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, I think that concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Lady Mo and Nitaku, for joining us. Shadows the Chatters. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be here. Glad you guys agreed to be uh, our Christmas gifts or holiday gifts, whatever you celebrate. We'd also like to thank all the supporters of the podcast the past year. Uh, our Patreons, Kenny H. and T. Yeager, and everyone who has sent us an ask or commented or interacted with us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for the amazing year, guys. It's uh, It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed the year, getting to know new people in this fandom, seeing how many of you guys enjoyed listening to our podcast. So, yeah, we have a lot to be grateful for. And we hope you all continue listening to us in the new year. Shout us the chatters. <laughs> Swear to God. Swear to God. <laughs> I, I brought him on just for Chad as the Chad. I was like, that is. He's the Chad that we need, but we do not deserve. <laughs> Nobody deserves Shadows at this point. He's, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. So thank you, as always, for offering your hearts and your ears. And see you in 2020. Bye. 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 Shadows the Chadders. Shadows the Cheddars. <laughs> when will I not well, giggle that at that? When will I not giggle at that? Like, <sighs> when will that not be funny to me? Soon, I hope. Never, never. Nitaku, Shadows the Cheddars. I'm just going to like giggle uncontrollably every single time you say it from now until forever. Like, that'll Shadows be the, the thing. Also, I feel like Mom Taco is just saying Niccolo to spite me because the other day no, she was I, like saying something different to me about Niccolo. I, I don't, I don't do that. No. I, oh, I do don't. you want to have this conversation now? Calm down, calm down. Let's move on. This chapter, People, please. This it's chapter, I really appreciate Niccolo. <laughs> <laughs> we don't take this far too seriously. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun and memes, but you're taking it way too seriously. Bye. <laughs> You gotta Are stop we not crying. gonna do buys? We have to do buys. Oh crap! I forgot. This is so. Oh my god, Luna! <laughs> this is your major contribution. Is everybody says I'm bye so at the end? <laughs> See everything. Oh. there's always something that goes wrong, right? Surrounded right. by amateurs. You are surrounded oh. by amateurs. Somebody Wait, didn't yeah. read the poll document, and I know who. Because you made it while I was asleep. What? Or watching Frozen okay. Two? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>